Hello, and welcome to the Granta Podcast. I'm Saskia Vogel. I'm thrilled to be joined by Tamima Anam, one of Granta's best of young British novelists for. Tamima's Bengal trilogy chronicles three generations of the Haq family from the Bangladesh War of Independence to present day. Her debut novel, A Golden Age, was awarded the Commonwealth Writers' Prize for Best First Novel. It was followed in 2011 by The Good Muslim. Anwar Gets Everything is an excerpt from the final installment of the trilogy, titled Shipbreaker. It will be published in 2014 by Canongate in the UK and HarperCollins in the US. Tamima and I talked about her Bengal trilogy, Making a Home in London and Migration. So, Best of Young British Novelists, how does it feel to have made the list? Um, Well, I'm absolutely thrilled. Uh, I have the previous three issues of the Best of Young British Novelists from 1983 that I inherited from my parents. I think think we lived in New York at the time when it came out. (laughs) That's incredible. Um, And of course, I've gone back and read it, and that one is extraordinary. Um, And of course, the subsequent two. So, it's really such a great honor, and... Um, I can't believe it. It's really wonderful. Are you are you a long-time Granta reader? Were your parents subscribers? I, it's so they exciting were. to hear. <laughs> I did um, have this funny thing where um, there was a, an issue of Granta where Hanif Qureshi had written a short story called With Your Tongue Down My Throat. And I think that was one of the title stories sure. in the collection. And I sort of picked it up, and I was quite young. And my, I remember my mother saying to me, Oh, you should not read that story. It's so boring. You won't like it at all. And of course, the reason she said that is because it was like... dirty. Well, yes, exactly. <laughs> That's why she was trying to get me to not be interested in it. But of course, I was, and I read it, and it was full of all kinds of things that I probably didn't understand, but was thrilled by nonetheless. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, it, what... What else have you read that's really ins- that I mean has it inspired you I suppose is my question I, I feel like when I read Grant I I learn more and more about what I sort of just very careful storytelling mm. and the pleasure of the short form and Absolutely. I mean have you been a short story writer and no I think it's one of the most difficult things to do um, I always struggle with short stories I don't know how to end them I don't know where to start them um, but they're actually when you're writing, they can be, I think of them kind of medicinally, because mm-hmm. if you read a really amazing short story by Annie Prue or something, and it can just be that one spark that you need to get to the next stage of your novel. Um, so actually, Grant is one of the few things that I read when I'm writing, um, whereas, you know, when, I, when I'm writing, I don't read a lot of long novels and things because you can feel so um, impressionable when you're writing. You know, you can get really influenced by what the style or by the content of what you're reading. Um, so yeah, I found Granta really inspirational. I mean, even just recently in the medicine issue, there was this extraordinary piece by Maria Highland about um, her diagnosis of multiple cirrhosis, which I thought found really amazing. And I mean, there's just been so many um, occasions in my life where I've kind of dipped in and out of it. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah that MJ Highland piece was really made a big impression on people. Um, so, well, you know, and, and you're working or have been working on a, a trilogy since you, correct me if I'm wrong, started your career, right? That's right, yeah. So it's been almost 10 years now. Fantastic. Okay. <laughs> the decade so, of my life. A trilogy. It, yes. We have so far A Golden Age, mm-hmm. The Good Muslim, yes. and the extract in the Best of Young British Novelists issue is from Shipbreaker. That's right. 
how do you begin to conceive of writing a trilogy? And I know, I mean, it's with a, it's about the history of Bangladesh yeah. since the Civil War. That's right. But how did you how did you begin to conceive of this and put it together? Um, I think that it wasn't as intentional as it sounds. I think it was that when I started writing the first book, I felt like it would be very difficult to let go of these characters. And I wanted their story to continue. And I had a lot of things that I wanted them to do and I wanted their children to do. Um, so I just thought, well, why not do a trilogy? And, you know, trilogy sounds better somehow. Three is like a really good number. It's better than two or four. Um, and it just sort of worked out that way. There was a kind of period after my first book where I thought, oh, I should really try to write something different. I should try to get away from these people. Um, but they kept coming back to me and they wouldn't let go. So I've stuck with them. My family, however, are really keen for me to move on because they see the places in which I've pillaged the family story oh. to put into my novels. And they're always really worried every time they read something I write that I'm going to expose some deep, dark family secret. So I think they're going to be really happy for it to be over. <laughs> so it'll be over in 2014 after Shipbreaker comes out. That's right. Excellent. But so how, which points of history are we looking at in A Golden Age, The Good Muslim, and, and the extract? What did we call it? Anwar gets everything. That's right. Yeah. So um, the first novel is about independence. It's about liberation. Um, it's, you know, a story of a family and what happens to them. They get caught up in this war. Um, and it's mostly centered on how their relationships are transformed by this event. And the second novel takes place in the 80s in Bangladesh, when there was a real... Um, sort of, um, you know, there was a real trend towards, like, Islamic fundamentalism in the political sphere, and again, how that influences this particular family, mm -hmm. and how they grapple with these sort of issues of, you know, they were revolutionaries, and they were Marxists, and then one of them becomes deeply religious, and how does that affect the rest of the family? And Shipbreaker is about migration. It's a novel about migration, and so the central character in the extract, whose name is Anwar, um, is a migrant worker in Dubai, and, um, you know, it's Bangladesh sends many, many, many thousands of people out of the country every year to um, to work and they all send money home. And it's a big part of the economy now. Um, but I'm also an immigrant. So for me, this third novel is much more personal and it has much more of my experience in it. Um, and one of the other main characters is a young woman who goes off to America to study and she, you know, has all these kinds of different um, transnational experiences and conflicts. Is that quite closely modeled on your experience or drawn from your experience? Because you uh, were raised in Paris and New York and Bangkok, right? That's right. My father worked for the UN, so we moved all over the world. Right. Yeah. So I was reading and um, I think it was something you wrote in The Guardian that your grandfather was a political dissident in the, in the 70s in Bangladesh. And then you go on to describe the December 13, uh, 14th, it, would you call it massac a massacre? That's right, yes. So a massacre of the kind of intellectuals and That's artists right. in reaction to the sort of basically knowing the, the end of the war was coming. That's right. That's yeah. exactly right. Um, so, sorry, what was your question? Well, I was wondering how that sort of, well, I guess that moment in time, but also the, the, the legacy of mm -hmm. sort of intellectual legacy of your family, how that's filtered down and if and if that's kind of how you in a way became a writer or I also saw that you have a PhD in social anthropology if perhaps there was a, a different path you had thought of taking yeah that's a good question um 
Writing is definitely in the family. My father is a newspaper editor, and my grandfather was a political dissident and a satirist. Um, so it was certainly one of those things where when I said to my family, oh, I want to be a writer, they didn't say, oh, no, you should be a doctor or an engineer like <laughs> a lot of Asian parents do. They said, oh, that's great. That sounds really practical. <laughs> you should definitely be a writer. Fantastic response. It certainly takes the pressure off. Or coming from a family of, of writers and thinkers, was it really intimidating to begin to begin a project, especially, you know, it, the a golden age um, is so sort of tender and, and deep and keenly observed. And I don't know, as, as I've read through your work, it, I mean, it's a, it's a massive and, and it really relevant and important project, it seems. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I, I think that I was m much more intimidated by the period of history that I was writing about than about starting to write at all, um, because um, the Bangladesh War of Independence, not only is it kind of still the most important thing that's happened to Bangladesh, even though it's been 40 years, and there are various political reasons why people are still clinging to that event as much as they are, but um, there hadn't really been a lot of novels published in English about the war, so I felt there was a kind of burden of responsibility. And often when I do events, um, I have to remind people that it's a work of fiction because mm -hmm. people who lived through that time are always correcting little things or they're kind of getting so engaged in it that they kind of feel like they have to superimpose the kind of historical truth onto the narrative truth. Um, so I definitely experienced a lot of sort of the, the kind of burden of representation when I was writing that book. Huh. Well, you've been living in Dhaka for, for a while. Or were you just there visiting? I was just visiting my family. Oh, you family. were just visiting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how I, I was wondering about the research process because mm -hmm. I think I, I read in another Guardian article that mm -hmm. um, you know you, that you were conducting interviews and things yeah. and, and kind of you were talking a bit about the the research process of yeah. your book. Tell me how you went about yeah. that and kind of how you bridge fact and fiction. That's a great question. Um, actually, a golden age was born out of a long period of research that I did for two years in Bangladesh while I was supposedly gathering data for my doctoral thesis. <laughs> well, I mean, I was. I did do a PhD. But in fact, during the course of that research, I realized that I should write a novel. Because when I, I was, you know, anthropology is like a very, um, it's a very literary social science in the sense that you don't get people to fill out forms and do surveys. You just talk to them about their stories. And it's very kind of oral history based. Mm -hmm. And as I was talking to people about the war, they didn't just talk to me about the war. They talked to me about falling in love and what it was like to um, be part of a movement that allowed them to break certain kinds of social boundaries that they had never been able to break before. So if you think about it, men and women kind of standing side by side and marching on the streets and, um, you know, participating in this massive social movement. And they talked about you know, um, getting married and, and having children during a war and what that was like. So I really felt like this story is so much richer than I could ever capture in an academic text. And that's how A Golden Age came about, um, was this kind of wanting to um, really capture something of the spirit of that time. Hmm. And uh, from book to book, the, the voice really changes, not only because you're focusing on, on sort of different sets of characters, but perhaps also because of the stories you want to tell. So what struck me, you know, in A Golden Age, you have this 
you know, the, the mother, um, Rehana, is so, um, what, what's the word, attentive to her children and concerned that they will be safe and healthy, and she's very maternal. <laughs> and, and in Anwar, it's, um, Anwar, in Shipbreakers, mm -hmm. it, the extract that we have has a more, I don't know, there's kind of a robust, slightly rowdy tone. I mean, he, the, Anwar's a little rough and, mm -hmm. and, uh, but perhaps in a good way. Like, how do you, I don't know, how would you characterize the tone or how do you choose the, the voice for the, for the books? Um, I felt so liberated when I started writing this book because I was no longer writing historical fiction and the first two novels I was. Right. So the first novel was set in the 70s and the second novel was set in the 80s and this novel is set now and it's been um, thrilling, actually. And Anwar is not just contemporary, but he's also a man. It's the first time I've written from a man's point of view. Um, and I just feel like he, I, I sort of got to explore things stylistically that I didn't feel that I was free to before. Um, so yeah, I, I let him be a little bit looser. Um, he's, he can be quite rude. Um, I also wanted him to be sort of self-deprecating and, and a little bit cynical. So yeah, those were all really fun things to try to explore. Dubai feels, I mean, reading about Dubai in, in the piece and thinking about how Dubai is portrayed, I mean, it is this sort of space of possibility and opportunity, but they're um, construction workers, right? Anwar right. And, and the people who we meet yeah. in, in the Granta uh, extract. Is it a kind of, you know, are they living the dream? Are they living the dream that they were promised when they wanted to go, when they were told about Dubai or when they imagined going to Dubai? Well, no, it's an incredibly hard life for them. Um, they live under very difficult circumstances, you know, situations, and they're completely beholden to their employers who hold their passports. And so on the one hand, it gives them the opportunity to kind of send money home and to be prosperous in a way that they couldn't be if they stayed back. But it's a very difficult bargain. Um, and Anwar is struggling with that because he does it for almost 10 years and it's most of his adult life and he feels like there's a chance he might die there and, and it's actually quite dangerous so he's trying to think of how he's going to get out of it or what's going to be the end point for him um, so yeah I mean and, and it's it's definitely an opportunity but it also has a lot of risks fantastic now if social, if social anthropology brought you to novel writing was that the beginning of your writing career or had you, I was actually really curious if you have an odd piece of writing from when you were seven or eight years old that you remember vividly. I feel like there's always that poem or, or illustrated short story that we made in kindergarten that kind of lingers and maybe marks a moment when you, I don't know, communed with, with the craft of writing. Um, I'm hoping that that may have, that may have gotten lost in all the different moves that I made with my family over the course of the years. Um, but actually, I always wanted to be a writer, but I was afraid that if I wrote that it wouldn't be any good. And so I waited a very long time before I started writing, um, which was silly because, as we all know, the only way you learn how to write is to keep doing it and to, you know, find your voice. Um, but somehow I didn't experiment with short stories. I, I, I started writing the story of Rehana and her family, which is a story of a golden age many, many times before I actually wrote it. So I wrote it as a short story, and then I made it a bit longer, and then I changed it. And it took, you know, very uh, several years before I actually 
can say, okay, this is when I started the novel. Mm -hmm. But I don't have other stories that I had written before that. It was kind of, that's the story that I always wanted to tell, I guess. But moving all around the world um, with your family and and now you, you travel lots, as I understand, um, how do you feel that that's kind of inspired or influenced your your writing? I'm, you know, are you because having the trilogy that's focused on Bangladesh, I kind of wonder, are there other stories that are lurking about things that you know you've observed as you've been traveling? Um, yeah, it's possible. I mean, I would say that the biggest influence that it has had is the sense of being an outsider. Um, and I think it's the one kind of, I wouldn't say it's like a character trait, or it's the one like life experience that I think almost all writers share, which is a sense of alterity, a sense of not quite being fully participant in the place that you are. So wherever I am, I'm almost always thinking about some other place. So if I'm sitting in London, I think, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if I could be in Bangladesh right now because, you know, the mangoes are coming or it's like, you know, it's about to be uh, a really important date in the calendar in Bangladesh next week and I'm going to miss all the celebrations. Um, but when I'm there, I think, oh, I miss my kind of independent, anonymous London life where things feel a bit looser and I can invent myself. So I think that sense of like longing to be somewhere else and not being quite present in the place that you are is like a really important writerly experience. Mm. And I would say all the moving around maybe helped to cultivate that. So you've settled, uh, you've settled down in London. Do you feel at home here or um, is this just a stopgap? I feel at home here because I don't feel compelled to feel too at home here, if that makes any sense. I think London is a place that absorbs a lot of different kinds of identities and it doesn't superimpose um, an identity onto you. So I'm sure you know what this is like, having been transplanted from LA. Um, I sort of feel in London like, well, I can still be all these different selves and I don't feel a kind of pressure to be English or even to be a Londoner, whatever that means. Um, so I feel quite attached to London, actually, at least to my patch of London, which is sort of east of here. Yeah, it's really easy to, f to fall in love with the little villages the city That's has right. to offer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you about Englishness. Okay. Um, you know, we have this collection of the 20 best of young British writers, right. and I... It's, and earlier this year we did the we did an issue called Britain where we mm -hmm. kind of looked at the idea of you know what what stories um, are we telling about Britain mm -hmm. today and I don't know there's such an international representation on the list mm -hmm. and I and I wonder you know it kind of speaks to a very global world and in the best of young Brazilian novelists mm -hmm. one of the comments that people um, often made was, how that how these writers don't necessarily have to look at Brazil, mm -hmm. you know that they're they're looking out into the world, right. and also a, a very cosmopolitan sensibility was present in the best of young Spanish language novelists. And I, I wonder, you know, are we are we producing? Uh, not producing, but are we are we becoming increasingly globalized, or are writers becoming increasingly globalized? I certainly don't expect you to to speak for all writers, but just thinking about yourself and, and now being a best young British novelist, how does that feel for you? 
Um, I became British a couple of years ago. Um, having lived here for 10 years, you know, the whole process of getting your visa and taking the test for Britishness and figuring out how to pass that. And it was a really interesting process. Um, and it's funny because in all the moving around that I did as a child, my parents always said to me, well, you're not an immigrant. We're just living here temporarily, but actually we're from Bangladesh. And Britain is the first place that I really felt like this is a part of my identity now. Now I'm British. And um, it's actually really wonderful because I think Britain is very eclectic. Um, I think that um, it's an identity that I can really embrace. I don't feel sheepish about it, <laughs> as I thought I might. Um, um, I think that there's a kind of... I mean, I would say that my main allegiance to Britain is to the city, to London, which is so cosmopolitan, and all the things we were just talking about before. Um, but, you know, I think being a writer... Um, means that you get to be a bit of a magpie and you get to choose from your experiences um, and that's probably why the list is so cosmopolitan um, because people are there's so many people that feel that they can claim English as their main language that they write with and in fact one of the th criticisms that I get in Bangladesh is that I don't write in Bengali that I write in English and I always have to say well English belongs to me too mm. you know I claim English um, you know we've had a relationship with English for the last 300 years because of colonialism. So why can't it be my language too? So I suppose being British is really a part of that. It's getting to sort of codify my relationship to the English language, which I've kind of nurtured and loved for many years, my whole life, yeah. Thinking of English and moving around and growing up and school, I guess. Mm. Did you have an English teacher that particularly that sort of impressed upon you in a particular way. I, I feel like we all have that, um, what's that movie? Dead Poets Society, yeah, right. kind of Robin Williams. <laughs> yeah. Do you, have you had that experience um, with an English teacher? I did have that experience, and it's um, interesting because a lot of the international schools that I went to around the world had American teachers, you know, like young Americans who wanted to travel. And of course, at the time to me, they seemed very old, but at now that I think about that category of person, it was these young, adventurous Americans living in Thailand or Bangladesh. Um, and I had this one teacher who um, decided to like throw out the syllabus that had been there for however many years and teach us American classics. So we read Faulkner and we read um, Willa Cather, we read My Antonia. Um, and it was, it was really a, a revelatory experience for me because I felt so connected to the American South ever since then. And I've always loved writers of the American South. And um, I just feel like there's something about class politics and about climate and about the way people are tied to the land that I can really relate to that really kind of it's very similar to, Bang to a place like Bangladesh. So that was a very big moment for me and kind of changed my reading. And whereas I might have had a teacher who taught me kind of Dickens and Hamlet and like British, you know, things that I would learn had I grown up here. But instead, it was these sort of, you know, classics of American literature. Is there one particular book that stands out for you as kind of emblematic of... Yeah, definitely My Antonia. Yeah. Um, you know, the way she writes about the frontier. Um, I, I just... I, I keep going back to that book, and I find it just in its language. And it's, it's a very, very simple story about a young girl who's an immigrant. And actually, it's... 
it's one of the best books about immigration that I've ever read. So, fantastic. Yeah, highly recommend it. I was also wondering, um, in terms of stories about Bangladesh, are there are there other novels that you would recommend reading, sort of in tandem with with yours, that maybe present a a different perspective, or that you feel get it really right, or maybe get it really wrong, but are really compelling for that reason? Um, I would say that there's uh, one other novel about the Bangladesh War that I would recommend. It's by Kamala Shamsi, and it's actually set in Pakistan, and it's about how the war affected th these particular families in Pakistan. And it's called Cartography, and it's one of it's, it's my favorite book of hers. Um, and, you know, she's a wonderful writer, and I would I would say that that that's a that's a, another great book to read about that period of time. Um, and but not set in Bangladesh, of course. But and of course there are kind of Bengali classics that have been translated into English. Um, you know, anything you would read by Tagore um, would be, you know, still very very relevant. His short stories are incredibly modern. Um, there's a collection of short stories translated by the British academic William Radice, which is a uh, great sort of sampler of of his work that I would recommend. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the reading recommendations and for, you know, stories from far-flung places. I, um, I look forward to reading Shipbreakers when it comes out. Thank okay. you, Saskia. Thanks for listening to the Granta Podcast, available for free download on iTunes, SoundCloud, and selected British Airways flights. To subscribe to Granta, please visit our website, granta.com backslash subscribe.